Time to Head North Podcast, brought to you by The North Group, where security is refined by intelligence. Hello, everybody. It is indeed my favorite time of the week. It's time to head north. And I have Vince here, Vargas from the North Group with me, Natasha Ryan from the North Group, my dear friend, Christy, downstairs in the screen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you could join us. I want to do a, a quick background here. So uh, Vince and I both are with the North Group. We do business development, communications, and of course, we've been busy in Ukraine, you know, helping out when we can, doing extractions, getting humanitarian uh, protective equipment over there for volunteers and civilians. And my dear friend Christy uh, and I worked together in television, and I asked her to come on today because you've been doing a lot of volunteer work, and it's good stuff what you're doing down there. So, Thanks. Christy, what group did you go? You were on the Polish-Ukraine border. What what group were you with doing your volunteer work? I was there with Med Air, which is an NGO out of Switzerland, and they are just remarkable. They are in every emergency uh crisis response situation in the world. So, you know, anything in the last decade you can think of, they would have been a part of it. And what their mission is, is to bring direct aid to those that are suffering and to walk alongside people that are in trouble right now and that that need help. So they do a lot of different things from <clears throat> coordinating housing, coordinating food, I mean, down to the nitty gritty of diapers and formula, all the way up to coordinating transport, you know, for people across Europe to to get to new destinations where they might be living for the next couple of months and housing them in Poland and running a humanitarian aid center when they cross the border. So they kind of run the gamut, but they're really just doing remarkable work over there. Hey, Chrissy, they, you, sorry, go ahead, Vince. Just curious about, Chrissy, how did you get involved in that? And like what your job out there was really just to, uh, you're a reporter, is that correct? That's your background. So really just to tell the story? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was there to help tell the story, but I was also there to help with humanitarian aid. There's such a great need. And we, my husband and I have worked with this organization for quite a long time. In fact, back in 2013, we were in Africa with them doing wow. some work at a remarkable orphanage there. So my husband has worked with them all over the world as well throughout the years. And we got a call um, a couple of weeks ago saying, would you mind coming over and helping out? Because as you can imagine, the need when millions of people are streaming across the border with nothing. Um, not only do you need money, you also need manpower. You need volunteers to coordinate this and make this effort happen. But yes, on the flip side, we were doing a lot of documenting because that's how um, putting a human face on this is really important um, to help raise the money that it's going to take to help these refugees. Christy, this is, uh, you know, you're a parent. So, and, and it's such a fluid situation, you know, with what happens, uh, volunteers being targeted, were you at all nervous or apprehensive to go? No, I wasn't actually. We, we were in Palm Springs on vacation as a family. We got a call and she said, can you come? And we said, give us five minutes. Called my mom who lives in California in the winter and said, can we stash the kids and the dog with you, please? <laughs> We flew home to Seattle, grabbed our winter gear because it's freezing cold over there right now and headed straight to the border. It was a no brainer. And I will be very honest. I, of course, was a little apprehensive thinking, 
this is a crisis situation right now. I don't know what to expect, but um, I've been to Poland several times. It's a wonderful country. It is a very safe country. And I felt incredibly safe on the Polish side. The Ukrainian side, um, I did feel safe at the border. Um, but of course, there's always a little bit of apprehension of what will happen. Like we're actually in Ukraine right now. Anything could happen. But for the most part, I felt very safe. Yeah, I mean, that's a war zone. And in, the, mm -hmm. in a war zone, you never know what kind of munitions may possibly be dropped. When I was in Afghanistan, Iraq, you'd be sleeping in your hooch and mortars would just be showing up. And you're like, oh, there we go. Hopefully we don't get hit, you know? And so I imagine that that's always in the back of your head is like, what if this border currently is going to be a target? So just the fact that you're willing to do that to me is just super commendable and just a, a little crazy. And I love it. <laughs> honest, we got a huge, we got obviously military briefings daily of what was happening yeah. and what was expected to maybe happen that day. And then also when we did actually go into Ukraine, there was a humongous safety briefing and right down to like, if things are falling from the sky, this is what you get under. If things are coming at you this way, this is what you get behind. So, I mean, we, we did have a lot of safety briefings, but I did feel for the most part, pretty safe. Now, you know, obviously in our reporter days, we went into some scenarios, but uh, I don't think you and I ever experienced a war zone as no. a TV news reporter. So we kind of talked about this just, you know, because we're good friends on the phone. But what was it like on the flip side of the intel briefing? Right. Because we were talking about how even as a reporter, you don't get the same information you get when you are privy to some of those mm -hmm. briefings. So mm -hmm. what did that feel like for you? What was that like? I think it was just really interesting for me to see that side of it. And I was also very grateful. I think that's the biggest word I could use here. Yeah. To have that information for my own safety, for the safety of the NGOs. And I think it's important to note that credible NGOs in those situations, for the most part, do get military briefings because they want those people to be safe and to be able to go into those zones. I mean, um, I'm obviously home back in Seattle now, but we still have lots of friends over there working and we got text messages from them the other day in a bunker in Ukraine, deep past Lviv. Um, <clears throat> the air raid sirens were going and they were down working on their computers, still working and doing their job in a bomb shelter. So, I mean, it, it's important to have those briefings. And I felt very grateful to have that info, but it was really interesting to see the other side of it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I spent many years, you know, preparing for missions and, and getting those briefings. So I know exactly how familiar that is before we go into any mission, there's a briefing before you do anything, there's a briefing. Um, and it's funny watching everything on, on TV. It's not really funny, but I have a urge to want to go and help, right? Like because of yeah. my background, I want to so bad, so bad that I had a dream the other night that I didn't even tell my wife. I said, I'm gone. And, I went. <laughs> and, and it's just something that I'm watching every day on TV. And, you know, I really wish that I had the time. I'm currently under a contract where I can't leave or else I feel like I would like to go spend some time and do some humanitarian work. And so mm -hmm. um, it's, it's awesome to see. I've seen some of these videos. I would love to play one right now. Which one would you like to see? Which one do you, do you think? I mean, I think the most powerful one that I sent you is a family that is, let me just back up here. I think one of the most important takeaways that I left there with, um, obviously there are several takeaways, but one of the things that I really noticed is these, the people coming across the border are moms, their children, and their elderly people. You don't see dads, you don't see men um, of a certain age, between 18 right. and 60, they're not allowed to, to cross. Um, 
they have to stay and fight. And so it was a very interesting thing to watch in the sense that it was moms a lot of times carrying multiple little kids across the border in snowsuits. So imagine that they weigh, you know, 10 extra pounds when they're in their Michelin man snow gear because they're all little. Tons of kids who couldn't pull their own suitcases, can't carry backpacks because they're too tiny. Moms aren't able to really bring strollers across because they're leaving on evacuation trains where it's more important to shove as many people on those trains as you can. You can't bring your 16 luggage bags and your stroller and your this and that. You literally are carrying your pet carrier, all your kids and your one backpack that you can fit onto your back. And that's how these people are crossing. And many of them you could tell had money. I mean, they were crossing with nice bags. Their kids were well-dressed. They were warm. You know, They had on all of their winter gear, but it would be like everyone in America trying to take out their money all at one time there's not enough money. You can't get your money. And so, you know, a lot of people who have great lives in Ukraine, which is a first world democratic sovereign nation, they live lives just like you and me. You know, before this war, they were having drinks with their girlfriends at really nice restaurants and taking their kids to playdates and going to soccer practice and going to school, just like our kids do. And the next day they were literally running for their lives as refugees. And Natasha, it would you and me trying to take our kids. I, like, I, you know me. I'm so emotional. I'm like trying to fight back the tears. Well, I, mean, I just, just don't get me started because I did a lot of crying. <laughs> um, but it really is. It it would be when I spoke with these families. They said, "Listen, we knew tanks were on the border. We knew that there was stuff moving closer to our borders, but we really thought it was like posturing. We really didn't think." Yeah. I think happened. a lot of people then. And overnight, you know, it happened. And then by the time you get your wits about you and you're like, let's make a plan. What are we going to do? Martial law came into effect. Now your husband and your dad and your cousins and your brothers can't leave. So now you are stuck with your children, your pets, your elderly parents. There were so many people like that, that were trying to run for their lives, figure out how to escape cities that were under heavy attack, trying to get their children onto these trains that let's say house a hundred people, but they're shoving 500 on there. Then they're riding for 24 hours in pitch black because the trains can't have lights on because they become targets. So now your children are terrified, right? And then a lot of them got to Lviv and it was like, how do we get to the border? A lot of people walked. And I can tell you, I came back- What's the and- distance on that, Chris? I want to say to the Medica Poland border where I was, it was about 70 miles ish. Dang. Dang. Like minus 15 Celsius. And I had on all my best winter ski gear. I knew it was going to be cold and I went prepared and I was frozen. And I wasn't trying to walk a five and a three year old for three days in the freezing cold, trying to carry all of my stuff, trying not to yell at my kids and stress them out, but we've got to go. Like we can't sit down and rest. We've got to get out of here right now. Uh, We have nowhere to eat. We have nowhere to sleep. Where do your kids go to the bathroom? Where do you sit down and rest? I mean, this is the trauma that these families are coming across the border with. And you're doing it all by yourself, you know? And I like, I'm all for women power. My husband travels all the time. I'm with, with my son by myself all the time, but I'm not trying to escape a war zone. I'm not going to a country where I don't speak the language. I'm not leaving without any of my money. I'm not under that kind of duress. And, and these poor women who, and elderly people, gosh, the amount of elderly people that I saw, and you can't shove a wheelchair on a train. 
So a lot of them are coming across hobbling. I mean, in the neutral zone, when you leave Poland, there's a neutral zone before you cross into Ukraine and it's all fenced and you're kind of like in a, uh, like a cattle corral almost. It's like really tall fences on either side. And I saw a lady who must've been 90 who would have waited. First of all, she would have had an incredible journey to get to that border. And then once you get to the border, it's, um, I mean, can be days. You can wait in that line for days. I mean, it is so many people trying to escape. And then you finally cross the border and you have to walk this neutral zone, which is about a kilometer. It's minus 15 Celsius. And this woman was hobbling with a cane and then having to stop and hang on to the fence every five feet and then hobble again and then wait in another long line to get into Poland. And once you're into Poland, you're, you're very well taken care of. The Polish military is there acting as porters. They're helping everyone carry everything, babies, pets, luggage, everything. You're onto a really nice coach bus. You're straight to the humanitarian aid center. There's medical attention. There's diapers and formula. There's everything you need. But getting there, I just, I can't even fathom what these people have had to go through. I, I can't imagine it. Like, I, I'm sitting here thinking about, like, what it takes just to get the kids out of the house in the morning to get to school. You know right. what I mean? Let yeah. alone yeah. Like, move now. Our lives depend on it. You yeah. know, like I, yeah. I just, I just, these, wow. Just well, the so other crazy. thing is they might be in nicer conditions in Poland, but they're still not home, which no. is super, oh, it's no. still hard for you no, for no. years. They're probably going to be a misplaced for a while before they can even get back to their own home if they ever if get back home. to a home to. Yeah. That's kind of the real issue is you have multiple layers of stress on these women and these children, especially um, escaping all of this trauma. But now you're in a place where you don't know anyone. You don't speak the language. You don't have your family and you your dad. These kids don't have their dads. So that in itself, like is so much trauma. Like, yeah. Yeah. I want to see, let's see the video. Cause okay. it's very yeah. powerful. Let's watch the video. Family um, saying goodbye. Okay. imagine saying i say bye to my kids twice a week going to la and that's hard enough as it is this morning yeah. i facetimed my son because he was woke up saying papa papa and so just watching that clip is like oh my goodness and the one thing that that mom said um to me through our translator was i hope he stays alive though that's what she said to me when he left and so i mean the dad just he couldn't take it he had to just rip the band-aid off and go like and, he could just yeah. you know you know, and I want to make it clear that we had permission to shoot with them. We'd asked them prior, can we interview you? And in the middle of our interview, um, he just said goodbye. And what I saw on his face was a man who was about to lose it and just needed to like go, you know, and yeah. he, he just kind of ripped the bandaid and was like, bye. Because those people were still probably in a 
at least 20 hour lineup to get to the border. So, you know, it was just, it, it's just heartbreaking. And that's just one of millions of stories like that. Thanks for sharing that, you know, these videos that you mm -hmm. took. I mean, I think seeing it, right. Like, you know, as a mom, I just like, I can't even control my emotion on the podcast. Like, was it hard for you to not break down in those moments where you oh. just, did you just put your reporter hat back on? Like, how did you control yourself? Well, I mean, I did cry a lot over there. It's really it's sad. <laughs> it's a super sad situation. But I also understood that, like, me crying is not help. And helpful for her to now be like, it's okay. Like, I'll be fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and that mom had two, you know, older kids who could walk themselves and carry their own luggage. I saw several moms. In fact, there's a video that I sent you. I, I don't know if you have it, but of a mom holding a little kid who might be one and she's in her big snowsuit like this. And this mom is holding her and probably has been for three days. Um, and she's squatted down at the border because there's no seats and she's been carrying this child for days, you know? It's yeah. It's just I do have I that know. video. It's, I met a sixteen-year-old at the train station that was going. Oh, Vince, why don't we play the video while she's she's going? Yeah. It's a short video. Okay, Christy, you back? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was just saying I met a 16-year-old at the train station who was heading to Berlin who had escaped, obviously, and she was going with her five and her eight-year-old brother and sister. And I said, where are you going? And she said, I don't know. I don't know where we're going to sleep tonight. Those are three children. You know, she's 16, but she's still a child who's trying to take care of two other little children. You know, it's it's there are just countless, endless stories like that. What's the number of misplaced families? I mean, what's the, uh, is there an estimate how many families right now? So I think the last number I heard was 3.5 million have crossed out, but that doesn't include the displaced people in. We are uh, just for those of you listening, we're having some internet issues with Christy, but she keeps coming back on. So we're going to keep the faith that she's going to hook back on here. Okay. There you are. Hey, um, so the last number I heard was 3.5, but that is the amount of refugees that have crossed. There are, there are several more million that are displaced inside of Ukraine that have come west to try to find safety. Holy smokes. That's incredible. That's insane. And there's what, what are what's happening from Poland? What's the plan there? Is there a plan or is it just right now they're just seeking refuge in Poland? <clears throat> yeah. So what happens when they cross the border? There's a pedestrian crossing, and that's mainly where people are coming across. Very few people are driving across. Um, <clears throat> so they walk across the border. And immediately, when I was first there, there was maybe two or three tents at that border, handing out soup. Um, there were some diapers. There was some formula. And what I learned on the humanitarian side is that really the first responders in these situations are the border towns. They're the people that live in the town where people are crossing. So they are the ones that donated all the clothes. They're the ones that were donating all the food and restaurants were coming with their food trucks saying like, we'll just set up and feed people because it takes a bit for humanitarian organizations to get there, to get set up. There's all kinds of hoops you have to jump through, like getting registered with the government and getting bank accounts there and getting, you know, like lawyers involved to get 
rent space and all of these things. Um, so, you know, the beginning part of the week when I was there, it, there was very little on the Polish side. By the end, it was lined completely with tents. So medical attention, um, food, obviously, lots of hot food being passed out, lots of baby stuff because you can't travel with all your diapers and all your formula and all of your things. So they're passing out all of that to moms. Um, there was lots of pet stations. Did your pet need a leash? Did you have to leave without you know, their food? Do you need whatever for your pet? Um, SIM cards, that was the other thing that they had there was SIM cards for your cell phone because a lot of times in Europe, they don't work you know, country to country. So just anything they need, then they get in this lineup and they get on a really nice coach bus that takes them to a humanitarian center, which Medair that I was there with is now running. And essentially it's an old mall that was kind of an abandoned old mall and they've taken over. Um, and that's where people are being housed initially before they're kind of farmed out to where they're going to go inside of Europe. Some people, the initial wave of refugees were people that made a plan, had money, maybe had family somewhere else in Europe or friends that they could go to. And they came with a plan and they. Mm. I mean, listening to Christy speak, she's cut out again. Um, I, I think about what what would be in that bag? You know what I mean? Like, what would I, you know, when you cut out, I said, I, I'm sitting here wondering, thinking to myself, what would I pack? What would I take? You know, like what, how do you manage days of diapers, formula, food, snacks, dog food? Like you, you can't take it all. Like, what do you just pack protein bars, formula and diapers and hope for the best? I mean, I, I don't know you, what to do. You pack your documents, you take your passports, you pack your birth certificates, you pack all the important stuff that you can't set up shop in a new country without. You take three days worth of, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of hungry kids who have been wearing diapers for way too long crossing that border. Yeah. You know, there's dogs and cats coming across that haven't eaten in a week, but you know what? They're to safety and they'll eat now. It's kind of, it's just kind of the the reality of the situation. Yeah. The, I have another video here of the kid in like a yellow Yeah. Jacket. So I was so proud of these boys. I met them right immediately when you walk into Poland, they were standing right there with a shopping cart full of dog food, cat food, um, tennis balls, like all the things for pets. And I didn't realize, I thought they were Polish kids. And I went up to them and said, wow, this is amazing. I'm, I'm so proud of you for being here. And I said, you know, where are you from? And they said, I'm from Ukraine. <clears throat> and I said, oh, when did you cross? He said, this morning with my mom. And he had chosen, he was about 12, and he had chosen <clears throat> to stay there and help other people as they were coming across the border. And he talked all about, I said, are you happy to be here? And you'll hear him say, he said, I, I'm not happy, but I feel calm. There's no air raid sirens, there's no bombs. He had to leave his dad there, who's a doctor. His dad's a very prominent doctor, couldn't leave. Um, so he talks all about that in this clip. And I think that's what, what you'll play. Here we go. I feel not happy, I also calm, just because no air raid sirens, no bombs and no other things. Tell me what that was like to live with bombs and air raids. I couldn't sleep for three or four. That's the only part of the clip I got, sorry. He, it's okay, he went on to talk about that he couldn't sleep and he was awake all night worried about what would happen next. And he talked about as a 12 year old, what will my life look like? Which is a pretty big concept for a 12 year old to talk about, you know? I have 12 year old 
things, you know, and, and they don't talk about, you know, that no. level of things. It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the big thing that I just is crazy to me is like the way you put it, right? Like this isn't, this was not a country <clears throat> where, you know, people lived this way and this was no surprise. Like they were literally, just like you and I, like you said, and, and then one day their whole world is literally yeah. blown up, you know, and it, really. and I think a lot of people, I understand how that happened because a lot of people felt the way I'm sure they did, you know, like this is posturing, mm -hmm. you know, Putin want to, would never want to risk his world, you know, yeah. spot, you know, like yeah. it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now I will say our CEO, Steve, called it and said, it's absolutely going to happen. Mm -hmm. but, but a lot of us were like, no, I don't know. We'll wait and see. We'll see, you know? And, and so I totally understand how they were caught off guard. I mean, it makes sense to me, you know? Um, it is the biggest takeaway when people have asked me in my personal life, like, what's your number one takeaway from, for me personally, not about refugees and whatnot. Um, my biggest takeaway is that if you sense danger, if you think something dangerous could happen, whether you're in a mall and you see somebody who looks a bit off or you're in Ukraine, you know, if your gut is telling you there could be some danger coming, I've now learned I would much rather be an overreactor and take a three week vacation somewhere and get out of there and have to come back and say, I overreacted, but whatever, we took a little vacation, then be there and get stuck because these people were stuck within like two days. It was just game over. Like, you're not leaving the country so fast. Yeah, it did. It did. It's much better to overreact and leave than So so I would love for you to also give that advice to companies with employees in countries mm -hmm. that experience conflict mm -hmm. because you know, here at the North Group we had we had companies come to us and they waited and they waited and then they threw their hands up and and it's just like, yeah, I've been in, I, I've been a quote unquote overreactor my whole life because I'm a military brat, right? <laughs> you kind of are too, Christy, already. Yeah. I know that about you. Yeah. So like you and I are the types that have always been when we sit down in a movie theater, we know how the hell to get out of there. You yeah. know what I mean? That, like we've always been that way. But hearing yeah. this, I mean, it literally makes me want to pack like a, an emergency go bag right at the garage door, like ready to leave at a moment's notice. You know, I, I would actually, on a personal level, tell you to do that. We we live in an area that had a wildfire two years ago, and our whole neighborhood had to evacuate at 3 a.m. And imagine being woken up and having to be like, where's my documents? What do I take? I don't know what to do. And it yeah. was a big lesson for me then. And now, of course, this Ukraine situation I've been part of, that it is very important to have that stuff together and know exactly where it is so that you can take it if you need to. Yep, I agree. And then, Chrissy, how about those who are watching this? Where can they go to, to help? Is there a place where... You know, people can go to donate and help. Yeah. And if someone wants to volunteer, is, is there someone they can go, maybe the, the, who you work for? Yeah. So I would really highly recommend Medair. They are really remarkable people, a remarkable organization, and they are doing great work. And their website is medair.org, M-E-D-A-I-R.org. You can go there to donate. And I think I've really enjoyed seeing people you know, doing what they can where they are. You know, a lot of people aren't in a position that they can fly over and, and volunteer. Right. A lot of people aren't in the position where they can donate thousands of dollars, but maybe you can donate a couple tubes of toothpaste, or maybe your kids can have a lemonade stand and donate $30. I mean, in a situation like this, 
everything counts. Everything. $5 can make a world of difference for somebody who needs to buy diapers. You know what I mean? It's yeah. anything you do is really helpful. Oh, Christy, I, you got me all worked up this morning. I'm just like, I don't know how I'm going to go on my day now. Yeah, <laughs> It'd be really grateful that we live somewhere that we're not in that situation. And, you know, just really keep these people, I think, in your in your thoughts and prayers, for lack of a better term. But it, it's a really bad situation that is continuing to get worse. And so, you know, there's a lot of people still in a really bad situation that are. I think, you know, Chris, like in our age, you know, like you and I, Vince, you, you've been up close, but like, we haven't been up close to right. war. Right. And, and I've seen some stuff I wish I hadn't at this point. And, but I think, you know, the takeaway for me having, I can't get over there. Right. Mm -hmm. Single mom. Um, I think the takeaway is what a great opportunity for us to teach our children mm -hmm. how lucky they are. You yeah. know, when you get upset about not getting the toy you want at the store. Like that is something that, you know, I just, I just think there are so many valuable lessons that we can teach without scaring the shit out of our children. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, I do, I, and I it's a fine line because you don't yeah. want to show your children these yeah. pictures and yeah. Yeah. Oh, and she froze at the moment. Mm -hmm. I in her thoughts. <laughs> Murphy's law, right, Vince? I mean, good. I was getting emotional. I was trying to, I'm like, oh, mm. back. <laughs> you're back now. I said right at the moment, Vince was like, oh, I was getting all emotional. Get emotional. I was like, thank you for that. <laughs> I, I think what I was going to say is I think it is a really important lesson. Um, obviously, you don't want to scare little children and really tell them what's happening, but my son is five. And what we told him was mommy and daddy are going to help people who are in a bad situation and little children who don't have a home and, and are in a really tough situation. And since then, you know, I really made it a point with my son to take him to the food bank and have him go donate food to people that need it. And yeah. we shared out toys and taken them to donation sites. And I really want him to realize that he lives a great life. He has everything he could ever need and want. And um, there's lots of kids who were just like him that now don't have that, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, Christy, I love you. Thank you so much for being on with us. I appreciate you giving us your videos and your time and your stories. And thank you for having me. And thanks for shining a light on this because we're going to, it's something that can't fall out of everyone's minds and can't help. We have to keep talking about this and we have to keep helping. Yeah. I always say, be the helper and find the helpers. So thanks for being helpers. <laughs> thanks, Christy. All right, Vince. Uh, and, and don't forget to come to our...